There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they're not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a Star Trek Picard podcast on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Redshirt Dave, and tonight we'll be discussing Episode 8 of Season 1 of Star Trek Picard. Well, this one provided us with a few answers, but brought up a whole lot more questions than it provided answers for, didn't it, Dave? (laughs) It sure did. I can only think of that three-dimensional chess they used to play. Right. I have enough trouble with one-dimensional chess. And this three-dimensional chess that requires you to gather and think and collect so much information that they gave us in this and then try to weave it all together. And I have to admit, I'm still working on that mental basket that I'm weaving together. I'm a basket case. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shall we get into this? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see if we can put some of these broken pieces back together. Exactly. So, in our episode 8, which is aptly named Broken Pieces, see how clever I am? Picard realizes how far some will go to protect secrets that go back generations when truths about the Mars attacks are revealed. We find that Narissa orders her guards to capture poor Elnor and setting off a chain reaction on the Borg cube, which is what I was hoping for all along. Yes. (laughs) Get that sucker fired up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we do have some catching up on the past to do, as once again, we flash back 14 Teen years where we see Commander O and a cadre of female accomplices all dressed in black hooded robes on Aja, the grief world. Now, standing in a circle in the desert, O, who we don't know what she is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that answers some questions. I mean, she was, they said to her, she's half Ramlin and half Vulcan. So it explains my question last week. Why would a Vulcan have the logic to for all this destruction. How do you find the logic behind all of this? If you're a Vulcan and yeah. being a traitor, I had wondered. Well, she's half Romulan, so there's a shortcut there for her. Yes. <laughs> and we find out that their ancestors had come there long ago and discovered the memories of an ancient civilization that met a grim fate. The race left behind an object known as the Admonition, which warned of horror and annihilation coming from the skies above. And when O's godmothers first endured the admonition, the Jatvash were born. So, oh, great uh, origin oh, story. Right. Now, of course, it is very interesting that it seems that the Jatvash were all women and the Kwat Malat are all women. Yeah, interesting. Women that give birth to things, races, peoples, children. So for hundreds of years, the Jatvash has operated in the shadows to prevent the second coming of the Destroyers. And we see a glowing table in a circular pool, and the members are all to place their hands on the admonition. <laughs> and it doesn't go well. Nope. That's one secret club you should have taken away from. Yes. Per O's prediction, most are driven mad by the visions they receive, blowing their brains out or smashing their heads with rocks. Or in case of Ramda, pulling out her hair. Yeah. I wonder what the selection process was to bring these women together. Right. She had to get these people that were she felt were qualified, and enough of them in hopes at least one survives. Yeah. It's the cutest one. Yeah, Nerissa. <laughs> yes. Still, that's really odd. Yeah. I wonder if there was other Kabbles before them. I mean, there has to be generations, at least. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Jatvash have been around for centuries. So, yeah, I'm sure that they've had many, many members. And I'm kind of curious as to find out if it's a family thing, that only members of certain Romulan families 
take up the mantle or because they're supposed to be secretive. Right. So you can't run an ad in the newspaper saying, oh, we're looking for new members. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, the selection process. I don't know. And she's half Vulcan, too, which kind of ties into my old theory about the Vulcans had something to do with the uh, Romulans and splitting off. So maybe there's something to that. I don't know. But that was a long time ago. Yeah. A lot of questions in this one. Yes. So I wonder who the next generation falls to, no pun intended, of the uh, Jot Bosch and whoever's in this circle. Right. Who gets it? Will uh, Rizzo be the next one and she has to hold the next meeting? Wouldn't surprise me. You would uh, think the youngest one would be the one that takes over. And But if they're killed, that means there's no group to carry on the warning. Right. Or the admonishment. So I don't know <laughs> if Picard's pretty optimistic. If he kills up them, you don't know if the Romulans are doing the wrong thing. But, of course, leaping ahead a little, he said they always deal from fear. Right. Okay. Yeah, this one's really got me thinking, Steve. Yeah, we probably could have spent a month or two processing before we could actually (laughs) come up with good, solid theories on this episode, that's for sure. Yeah. So shall we head over to the Reclamation Cube? Why not? So we, we go back to the Cube. And uh, Rizzo, or Narissa, since we're on a first name basis, is visiting her now comatose auntie Ramda, which was which is interesting to find out. At first, I thought when she said auntie, I just thought that was a cultural thing. And anybody that's a little older than you, right? You can even call them mom or grandma or something, or or auntie, which happens in a lot of Earth cultures too. Yes, but we found out they were adopted. She and Narek, that is Narissa and Narek, by this auntie. As she was standing over her, there's one question that we had. What would cause the Abor Cube to shut down? And it turns out it's a little panache, which is another word for madness. Yeah. <laughs> she could say that she broke the Abor Cube through her sheer force of her grief from the admonition. But that's, man, I don't know. Did they take on madness, too, in an emotional state? If you take on a, a simulate somebody? That's a question that should be asked. I don't know if we'll ever get an answer. Right. But it does kind of make a little bit of sense. I mean, you would think the Borg aren't completely mechanized. There is still some part of whatever they were to begin with still there. So Mm -hmm. that much emotion, yeah, that could be a little too much for the Hive Collective to handle. So that's probably why they disconnected that cube from, from the entire collective. Yeah, well, that would have ended them for sure. Yeah, that really would have ended them. <laughs> so if the Borg is still out there, they must have a queen, I guess. Yeah. So what are they up to? Exactly. Too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's too many questions. I'm going too far ahead. Licking the wound someplace. Anyway, Rosa wants to find Elnor because he's still going around there. And we got a, an answer to how Elnor stumbled across that communication chip right. to get the, the Rangers. If the action comes back to a skirmish between the now located Elnor and the Romulans. And Seven comes in, starts blasting and rescue them. And she's awarded with this giant hug. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> was, was awesome. Really cute. Yeah, I know it was awesome. <laughs> Poor Elnor. He's a world-class or a galactic-class fighter. But he still needs to hug somebody when, yeah. he, when he's rescued. Yeah. So glad to see you. So yeah. apparently Hugh kept a chip in his office because that's where he was hiding out in Hugh's office. Right. Yeah. So we would wonder, why well, who leaves chips around a board cube? Yeah. So now we know. Yeah. We assume that Seven probably did visit the cube to, and probably had conversations with Hugh and, and basically left that chip for him in case there was an emergency. Right. Pretty good. So they go to the queen cell and Eleanor's acting like a child. He's so childlike. Everything's so new to him. He's like, that's cool. Yeah. If he would say that's cool, but that's his reaction to everything. And Seven begins to regenerate the cube, which is pretty cool, too. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Especially seeing the outside of it, the way it was piecing itself back together. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah, excellent. That was excellent. It made me think of nanobots, but I don't think they were really that small since we could no. see the scale they were. But something to that effect. Right. What if those are things that are just pieces of the cube, but once activated, they start crawling all over it? Probably. I think we saw something like that. What was it? The replicants on uh, Stargate? Yeah. Kind of saw something that looked just like that on that show. So it's cool. I wonder how Seven knew to connect herself. I mean, as a child, she is more bored than most assimilated people are in their adulthood. Right. Do you suppose she had that connected tissue of memory 
once she accessed the queen cell, she knew how to start things up and connect herself to the cube. Oh, yeah. She definitely had that memory and that yeah. knowledge of how to do it because she mentions instead of trying to connect to the total hive, mm. she's going to try to create a micro collective. Right. Just that cube. It would help to because it localizes. Right. To one cube in that area. It's interesting that she didn't want to enslave him again either. Right. She wanted to activate him, but she didn't want to enslave him. She, you could see that moral quandary play itself out in just a few seconds. Yeah, Jerry Ryan was absolutely amazing in this episode, how she processed what needed to be done, what the risks were, and what the outcome would be. Yeah, very interesting. And to think that Jerry Ryan was actually afraid of reprising her role, she, she just couldn't quite connect to it until she had her talk with uh, Patrick Stewart. And now she's into it. Diarco. Yeah, exactly. So her plan is to activate all the XBs and the sleeping Borg that are in stasis. And in the meantime, Rizzo also has a plan, which is to get rid of them. She's thinking, let's see, electrocution. <laughs> she's a real sadist. Oh, yeah. And her, uh, the centurion goes, well, we could just jettison them into space. She's like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> good grief. <laughs> uh, so she takes some guy along and executes a room full of XBs, which is super cruel. Oh, yeah. Just like <laughs> when she got rid of Hugh. Yeah. So it's basically a race to see who can take over the cube first. Can Seven connect to the uh, collective inside the cube? and Or can Rizzo blast enough into space? And did you think when they started getting blasted into space that that sound effect that we heard was like that collective scream? Oh, yes. Wasn't that weird? That was like yes. eerie. Yes, very. So anyway, the Romulan fleet has the uh, coordinates to the synthetic homeworld, which is part of the part I'm still wrestling over, whether there really is a synthetic homeworld or is a lab there, or is there surviving synthetics there from thousands of years ago? I don't know. Right. But the XBs eventually take her down, and it was a very cool scene. It reminded me, and here's a little boomer talk here for you. Remember the old rat movies? Like, what was the first rat one? The second movie was Ben. Was ben. Yeah. And the first movie about the rats... It reminded me of the rat crawling all over. Right. Because uh, they really weren't and, hurting her. They were just, it looked like they were just all pawing at her. Yeah, it looks like they could have taken her apart, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm curious how she activates this transporter. transporter. Yes. <laughs> she couldn't have reached something to tap. No, it you know, had like, to be on her body. Yeah, I wonder if she can just think it. I wonder, and then I thought, well, maybe it's in her teeth. If she pushes her teeth together, that activates the transporter. Right. Anyway. The race is over, and the Borg now control the cube. And I tell you, I had visions of this cube chasing after the Romulan fleet. Right. Seven also releases itself because uh, Elnor asks her, hey, you going to assimilate me? He's <laughs> <laughs> a little edgy there. Such a yeah. child. And the darkened-eyed Seven of Nine. Oh, I don't know yeah. what we'd call her. I saw somebody on Facebook say, was she a queen just then? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Queen I, of I don't have cube, a- absolutely. <laughs> If she was, I don't know how she would have compassion from another living thing like that. She said Annika still has work to do. Interesting that she referred to Annika right. herself as Annika while she was, a, I don't know, in quotations, queen. That was uh, very interesting. Very interesting. It might happen again, so we'll have to make a mental note of that. Yes. Will Seven be able to do that again? Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting to find out if it was... Seven actually being able to pull enough of our humanity out right. to be able to disconnect, or if it was the cube itself that was able to tell that Seven wasn't a complete Borg and mm-hmm. sensed her feelings and desires and made that call for her. Yeah, I was wondering if there was a flip of the script on that too, a little role reversal. Right. And when she said, I don't want to enslave them. I also thought, I don't want to be enslaved by them. But your thought that the cube or the collective on the cube understood that she was, I don't know, it had too much humanity in her, could have allowed her to be released. Right. But I was afraid she was on a, some type of internal countdown that she knew she could keep her humanity for so long until she became enslaved by the cube. Something else to think about. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so we're going to head over to the La Serena. And we're having a mutiny of sorts here as Rio just freaks out at the sight of Soji. Yeah. It was great 
because he's in his own world and Picard's trying to talk to him and they had it sounding very distant and it was like, yeah, not a focus, whoa, yeah. what the frick is going on here? I guess he really did go through some type of psychological breakdown because his he has a little PTSD from it to have yes, that type of reaction absolutely. by seeing Yeah. And, I mean, they almost lost him again. Yeah. Now, he does agree to Picard's request to chart a course to Deep Space 12, but after which he tells Picard he's done. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something going on here we can't wait to find out. Of course, Picard tells Soji she has no choice but to trust him. And as soon as he says that, Picard is basically attacked by Roth. Yeah, now this time she's holding the cards in yes, her hands. all of them. She has more information than Jean-Luc does, and some of her instincts were proven true. Yep. As she tells JL that Girardi is a double agent, Romulan spy, and killed Maddox. Yeah. Of course, Picard box at this, but... Yeah, what do you say? Fact or... Theory. You say theory, right? Yeah. And Rafi has to say theory at first, but... Yeah. And then, of course, she blasts him some more for this rescue, sacrifice, and redemption mission he's on, as Soji is only a single neuron. Yeah, that's when my head started spinning again, about because I'm always trying to find an answer before we actually get an answer. Oh, well, of course, that's the fun <laughs> of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and any television show watching. Yeah. It's almost a chicken and egg thing that we're, we're faced with here. Right. Yeah. And later on... We see Picard in his study <laughs> with Admiral Clancy. Yeah, that looked pretty real. Yeah, and of course, it brings back memories of the last time we saw them together. Because <laughs> they're both just as fired up about what they're saying as they were then. She tells him to shut the F up. Yes. I think it's because she's tired of seeing him as, as correct. And he knows he's correct, too. Yes. He was correct. Yeah, he knows it, too. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was interesting that she called him Admiral Picard and not just Picard. Right. I was thinking that when the squadron meets them at DS-12, that he would be the admiral in charge of that squadron. I was really looking forward to that. Yes. Hopefully they'll get message to the squadron to meet him somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, you'd think they would notice a movement of the uh, Romulan fleet or what's left of it. Right. Are they crossing in the Alpha Quadrant, I'm assuming? Don't or know. They, we really don't, don't know where that we planet don't is. Know. Now, if they did, that would be an open case of war. But if this bite system is in the Beta Quadrant, you're not going to get much help <laughs> from the Federation or, or uh, anybody else. No Star Matter. <laughs> if, if they, conversely, if they cross, uh, that's a, an act of war. Right. And then, of course, there's a Borg cube out there. Hopefully, you gonna say? show up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. we're going to need them against the Romulan fleet there. Yeah. I wonder of what... course, we don't get to see the whole conversation or at least what Picard tells Clancy that convinces her. Yeah, she seemed convinced when we joined them in conversation already. Right. You want to go pull your hair out like Rhonda did. <laughs> Give yeah. me more information on this. Yeah. Was it speculation? Did he have proof? Was he just using the fact that Girardi killed Maddox? and Or what? He had to have something in black and white to show her that convinced her. And yeah. why didn't she say, well, I'll take care of O? Yeah, no kidding. If that was what it was. Yeah, O's in a lot of trouble now. I, you I would must think. Say, you would think. And he was, it's a little surprising we didn't get to see a glimpse or a mention of that. Right. Oh, by the way. You have a mole. Yeah. <laughs> Soji has one on her chest. <laughs> yeah. Starfleet has one in security. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall we check in on our favorite conspiracy theorist? Oh, yes. Detective Rafi, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> so Rios, we found that Rios is, since he was near another psychotic breakdown or neurotic breakdown, he's locked him away, uh, himself away in his quarters. So Rafi goes on this tour of meeting with all the holograms. I was a little surprised. She went up to the bridge and saw Rios there, but it wasn't Rios. Right. And she's talking away as if it was. And I'm like, dude, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> but she's talking with him and she asked the, uh, since he was an engineer. No, uh, was he the engineer? Was He's the, a navigator. navigator. He's the right, navigator, yeah, the right? The navigator was first, then the engineer, then the whole five of them. <laughs> yeah. And he, 
She learned of the octonary and an apocryphal planet system. So this is still steeped in Romulan history. I made note of that. Right. Why just Romulan history for this? And that would eliminate, if you're thinking Q, bringing these uh, eight stars together with their component planets, an incredible massive gravitational fluctuation that it must be causing. Right. How did, that doesn't sound very Q-ish. No. To me. And it's the thing of legend, too. And it seems strictly a Romulan legend. I'm surprised this didn't go beyond the Star Empire. You would think. More questions. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but Rafi figures out that this conclave of eight didn't refer to people, which is what we were thinking. We were right. thinking, like, maybe it's eight different parts of the Federation or whatever that came together. But it was really a conclave of eight stars with, a, I don't know, a secret and a warning down in the middle right. of it. Yeah. He told her that this octonary couldn't occur naturally. Yeah, but if it isn't Q, how do you bring eight stars together? Right. Is there there like some super advanced civilization that got wiped out by so-called synthetics? That's for sure. Yeah, or the synthetics did it, or could be. Or I was thinking, get a black hole or warping technology, and if you can create. The gravitational pull of a black hole will bring a sun towards it. I mean, that's what happens in real life now anyway. Oh, absolutely. So I wonder if they were able to engineer a, a black holes that were able to either transport sun through it through a singularity and have them come to one spot or just use the gravitational pull of nearby stars together. This yeah. is the things that I, keeps me awake at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm trying to work on how you bring eight stars together. Right. So this is a lot of this is getting to Rafi, and she can't quite communicate with the captain. So she goes for a little alcohol break, and she found out that she can't get into her. She can't access what she looked for whiskey to start with. Yeah, first she said burgundy, and then she said wine. Yeah, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of drinking, Rios is uh, drinking it up in his cabin. He goes to a a little cigar box of mementos because you can see the locker. Sitting right. across, he's sitting at the end, and the locker has a Starfleet logo on it. So I go, ah, Starfleet law. He still has it. Yes. So you know he's going to open that thing up. Yeah, his uniform and some vinyl. Imagine some that. Some vinyl, I know. I know. <laughs> Imagine that. Hope he's got an original Beatles album in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy your own boy cube. So Raffi decides to go, I don't know, he goes into the... Picard Chateau study, which is interesting. I guess that's the meeting place or the only place where there's the hologram. And you can just activate the Picard's office there. Right. And that's, I mean, they don't use it for much else. I mean, she could have created everything, anything, I, I should say. And then you can meet with uh, the five holograms anywhere else, too. Maybe she was just looking for privacy. Right. I'm sure she was. Okay. While she's still building her. Theory. Yes. Yep. She lies awake at night, too. <laughs> yeah. That was interesting. You got your orphan black moment. Yes. When you set them all together, when they slapped themselves on the side of the head, it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. They tell her they have a collective memory. They don't have all the same memories. Right. From Rios, but they have pieces. And so in a joint conversation, she finds out from them collectively that he had a traumatic breakdown after he was introduced to Jana and in the story behind Bandemir, his captain. Right. So armed with that, Rafi goes back to Rios, and he recounts the whole story and shows her the picture in the story of beautiful flower and a young protege named Jana, who looks just like Soji. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no wonder he freaked out. <laughs> yeah. So that opens up another locker full of questions. Like, uh, okay, so there was a first contact opportunity. He was directed to go there and by Starfleet, but the directive wasn't a coincidence. They knew that he had to be sent there to execute a, a Black Flag directive and kill Beautiful Flower and Jana. So obviously there was intelligence available to whoever brought this uh, mission to bear. Oh, absolutely. So, so it was deemed a first contact, but obviously someone knew they were there. Yep. So was it a really a first contact? How did that information get out? Right. I have a feeling that when Maddox ran, yeah. Oh, knew where he went. They've been on Maddox's tail ever since. She should have killed him then. You would think. So that kind of lends a little credence to maybe this synthetic society was already in place, even when Maddox got there. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's very possible. 
I can't get my head around it, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. <laughs> was this single neuron that helped create Soji and Dodge, or did Maddox go to the right place where there was a community of these people that wanted to reestablish contact? Right. Boy. <laughs> you had a feeling? We'll find that out in the uh, next two episodes. Hopefully. Yeah, two left. Uh, so it does confirm that John, I was identical to Soji. You know, originally I thought when they were looking for Maddox's lab, they would just find a whole, like a closet full right. of, of Soji and Dodge. And now we might think it might be a community. Yeah, it's possible. People. I mean, it's possible anyway. So many questions. Yes. So what do you think now, Steve? A little bonding time? <laughs> yeah, well, I thought it was interesting that Rios ended up covering up the crime so Starfleet didn't destroy the entire ship. Oh, yeah, he was complicit. Well, that makes Rios complicit in the crime, you could say. Yes, absolutely. And that's that, why he was kicked out, basically. It lead to his, maybe the guilt drove him to have his own breakdown. Right. Yeah, but moving on to some bonding time, we get an immensely awesome sit-down with Soji and Picard while they're eating. And Soji basically just squares John Luke up and it's no holes barred here. I want to find out exactly who you are. Yeah, because as we saw in the preview at the start of the episode of the previous episode, we go back to, what was the name of, of uh, the daughter played by Lulu? She was saying that she could trust Picard. You have Picard. He could be like a right. father Castro. figure to you. Yeah. So it looked as though that uh, Soji was measuring up Picard. She was asking about what Data thought, but was really in place of what she was thinking of Picard. She was cross-examining him. Right. And uh, unbeknownst to Picard, he was providing all the answers she needed to hear. Yes. Yeah, it was nice that he was able to really give a, a pretty good explanation of who Data was and what he was about. I love the line that, he made us all laugh, except when he was <laughs> trying to make us laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so data. Yeah. And then, out of nowhere, Soji basically concludes that, yes, data loved him as well. Yeah. It, it was interesting to see that reaction on Jean-Luc's face, too. Yes. He had his moment where he didn't realize what was going on, and then he had that moment of self-actualization where he actually came to the grip that both of them were so much alike and having trouble sharing emotions. And he didn't admit to himself until now that he loved Data and that right. Data probably loved him back. For as much as he could. Yeah. Yeah. The line that they both had uh, <laughs> limited capacity for expressing and processing emotions was <laughs> yeah very classic. And it was the truth. There's yeah. no doubt that both of them we knew data, but John Luke was exactly the same way to a certain extent. It answers questions for me. I mean, are all Starfleet captains like that, or is it just John Luke? Because most of them, in all the shows we watched, the captains are single and just remain that way. Right. And for whatever reason, of course, is a lot of responsibility. You can't uh, have a mate or partner and then have to worry about them all the time and still be captain. Right. Something I always wondered. Yep. So we move on to... Girardi, as she is now conscious again, and she basically confesses that she killed Maddox because Commodore O poisoned her mind with visions <laughs> of a century-old apocalypse. I thought Picard was going to say, oh, you mean a Vulcan mind meld? But he never did. No, he didn't. He's had one himself. Yep. And she tells him we're at the threshold. Unless we act quickly and destroy even the possibility of synthetic life, we'll... Get the return of the destroyer. And you kind of go, <laughs> yeah, you're still drinking that Kool-Aid there, Girardi. Yeah, because we don't know if that implant or the poison she put into her, oh, put into her mind is exactly true. Right. That's just basically what we saw at the admonishment. Yeah. Well, it seems pretty true. If you take that perspective. Right. You know, that, that is all doom and gloom, but that's how the Romulans think anything. Anyway, everything oh, is always yeah. doom and gloom with them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're willing to kill themselves just to get information or drive themselves mad. Right. Interesting society. Yep. Later on, Girardi actually gets to meet Soji, and all of a sudden she's back to being scientist Girardi, as she is just so amazed that Soji sleeps and eats and cries and has feelings just like a normal human. Yeah, a masterpiece. Yeah, a work of art. Interesting. 
I looked up Vandermeer. Right. I'm familiar with Vandermeer as an artist. There was an elder and a younger Vandermeer. They were both landscape artists. So when you talk about masterpieces of work of art, we're a little skipping ahead to Easter eggs, but Vandermeer was an artist and they worked on masterpieces. Right. So I guess, I don't know, there was a, I think it was a Johnny Vandermeer that pitched the first perfect game I think in so. Major League Baseball. Yeah. yeah. And that was called a masterpiece too. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's a baseball fan on the writing staff or an art fan for that matter, of course. Right. Now, of course, Soji asked Girardi if she considers her a person, and Girardi just can't answer that. Right. Not good. I thought she was going to blurt out yes. Right. She didn't. But she does tell Soji that despite Commodore's O's order to kill her, she would never harm Soji. Well, let's wait and see. I'm not sure I'm buying that just yet. Yeah, I don't think we're entirely convinced that Agnes is out of the thrall right. of that uh, Vulcan mind meld. No. I mean, if you can put up some type of uh, bulkhead, who's to say another bulkhead doesn't contain something else and it'll be opened upon the right emotional command or whatever. Right. So there's a nice scene where the uh, La Serena crew is all together for a nice little chat. And Gerardi comes in and apologizes for what she's done. She agrees she's going to turn us all fans once they reach Deep Space 12. I was really hoping we'd see Deep Space 12, too. Me, too. <laughs> not this episode and not the next one, either. I don't think so. <laughs> too bad. And I wanted to see the fleet, too. I'm curious to see if the Enterprise is part of that squadron that's on Why, its way to Deep yes, Space Warf. 12. <laughs> yeah, war. So it's a good time to bury the hatchet and Rios give uh, Soji some french fries and a peppermint milkshake. And I'm like, yuck. <laughs> Apparently... Jana, that he had met long ago, liked to dip French fries into peppermint ice cream or milkshake. Like, double yuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these things come to Soji now. He's like, how do I know that you know that? And how do I know I do like that? Yeah. She keeps rebuilding herself and becoming ever knowledgeable to things that, that come out of nowhere. It's too bad her eyes don't glow like the holograms when oh, they're thinking yeah. about something. Those were, that was a nice touch by... Uh... The FS Computing. People. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Rafi explains that some 200,000 to 300,000 years ago, someone or something dragged eight suns together and hung a plant in the middle of them to house an admonition, which warns of a past in which a synthetic life was created and evolved to the point where it nearly brought about the destruction of, I don't know, organic life forms? Yeah. I uh, suppose. suppose. I didn't say. Yeah. And we still don't know if that was in the Alpha Quadrant or the Beta Quadrant when all this happened. Right. But since it's Romulan history, I'm guessing this is in the Beta Quadrant. You would think. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So anyway, she concluded this fearing this synthetic dividing line might be crossed into the future. The Romulans formed the Jatvash to terminate all synthetic life form. That's their story. Yep. No. And they're sticking to it. Whether it's right or not, I guess so. And it adds fuel to the fire, or at least more proof that this, you know, these eight Sons to gather together is in the beta quadrant. I'm becoming more convinced of that as we right. go on here. So we also learned that O had been carrying out a crusade as a mole within Starfleet. And she's the one who orchestrated the false flag attack on Mars. So we come to realize, and that's another question that was answered, that the Romulans were behind the attack. On Mars, yes. Now, that's pretty large scale. I and mean, that's an act of war right there. Oh, absolutely. It, and we were asking ourselves, why were the Romulans attack their own rescue fleet. Right. Their paranoid is so deep that this was more important to them. Yeah, apparently so. Your son is going supernova, <laughs> yep. about to wipe out your entire race, and yep. you have to go start this. And yeah. yeah. Somebody said, hold it. I know that's going to happen, but we got something to do first. Right. Really? <laughs> so what if the Romulan race is down to almost nothing? Yeah. There's still a race, but... We can't let the synthetics destroy us. Wow. All I can say to that is wow. Yeah. I wonder if we'll ever get an explanation for that. Yeah, that I would mean, be that's some real deep, I would deep like paranoia. To, uh, hear O on the witness stand trying to convince the high council that she's right. <laughs> you know, we had heard hints that there was different factions within the Romulan leftover structure. Right. There's the paranoid version that the the Shatvash still and i guess that's the people that are aboard the cube or is that there is because there's another romulan what they what they call it the, the free romulan Star, state i think yeah no the free romulan state oh right or whatever right, they call yeah. they're out there too that's not part of the whoever's on the board cube i'm guessing i wouldn't think i don't know so. 
I don't know. Yeah. And we haven't heard from them either. No. If you go back to Star Trek Nemesis, Romulan said to him, you have, you have a, you have a friend. Yep. What happened to them? Right. <laughs> Put to death? I don't think so. I still <laughs> think most of the Talish Yarn, Josh Vosh are working outside of the Romulan free state. Yeah. And they're pretty powerful, apparently. Yeah. Maybe the Romulan free state doesn't have a, a fleet, but you'd think they would. Yeah, you would think. Okay, so we're going a, a little ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> so with the knowledge of the synthetics ban and Rios' encounter with, with Jana, Soji locks everyone out of the bridge and towards a course to her homeworld, which is after ruining the table, too, of course. Right, yeah. <laughs> you see the look on everyone's face. Like, uh, oh, she knows crap. Her, she, yep, she slams her fist on the table and she says, this is my fault. That's when she storms off. And I'm like, I'm thinking back, how is it your fault? Oh, you mean revealing to Narek there. Right. Know, she's pretty hard on herself. She she knows. I mean, everyone's been coercing her one way or another. She really didn't do it deliberately. But right. I don't know. When you're faced with that much guilt, I suppose you claim it's your fault, even though it wasn't really. You right. can't blame well, her. She's like Elnor. She's really a child with not a lot of experience. So, mm-hmm. yeah, when something really bad happens, you take on that responsibility, whether it was completely yours or not. Yeah. Until you get older and learn how to process <laughs> it, be able to assign the blame where it actually belongs. It's interesting how everyone gets together and puts together their own thoughts on what they should do and where they should go. Right. Once he finds out he's locked out of his own bridge, he comes up with a plan to lock himself back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By saying a little lullaby there. That yeah, I guess John. John. Yeah, John knew about it, or but I don't uh, think so. No, all right. But I think it was a good leadership moment that Picard brings everyone together and convinces Rios this is the thing to do. Right? Because Rios is having second thoughts. He really, what is she? What if she really is the destroyer of worlds? What are we doing? Should we be helping her? Yeah. And that, and that's when Picard comes up. The past is written, but the future is left us right. We have a powerful tools too, like openness, optimism, and the spirit of curiosity, which is not something the Romulans have. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, none it's of the interest. above. <laughs> yeah, none of the above. How did they make it that far? That's a race of people. Yeah. Yeah, That's he says, a really uh, good question. All they have is secrecy and fear, and fear is the great destroyer. Yeah. Pun, pun intended, John Luke. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but yet still, they founded the Star Empire, though. These are mighty big questions here. If this is exclusive to Romulan culture and history. That's interesting. Yeah. It seems greater than that. Yeah, it does, but it's right now it just it's hard to see it. <laughs> yeah, it is oh it's definitely hard to see it. So we get a good movement when they they finally make it to the vortex and they're followed by an enemy ship. Yes, good old Eric is somehow <laughs> knew where the transwarp opening was. Yeah, I wonder how. Yeah, really good question there. And will the Romulans Show up there, the fleet jump through as well. Yeah, does it sit there open? Right. Do you have to detect it? Does it close? It looked like, I don't know, it was swirling. Looks like something that could open and close. Right. So I don't know if that remains open for the rest of the fleet or squadron and fleet to go through. Right. It's at this point like, okay, we have two episodes left. I don't know how much they can tell or finish off this particular story without having to continue it in the next season. And we know that we already know there's the next season. So that pressure may not be there to give right. us all these answers. Very true. Yeah. And of course, that leads us to Easter eggs. And <laughs> first one is, didn't Voyager destroy the, the Transwarp Network? <laughs> we return to the Alpha Quadrant. Oh, boy. And so that's a question that we don't have an answer to, which... Definitely seems to need one. Now, I guess if you could say that that was the network heading to the Alpha Quadrant only, then yeah, I guess the there still could be one in the Beta Quadrant. I guess. And Soji knew about it, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This could be the work of Seven of Nine, too. If there was one and only one, it was left open or destroyed, or thought destroyed. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe Seven of Nine knew how to access it again or kept it open right or with all the confusion with the fall of the empire and in the neutral zone where she became a ranger yep she had access to this place i guess i could buy that a little bit more than (laughs) (laughs) anything i can come up with that's for sure (laughs) yeah well if you can leave a chip behind in hughes headquarters i suppose she can leave stuff 
for herself behind that she can access should she need it. Yep. And, of course, we get a Zephram Cochran shout-out when <laughs> Picard and Rios are talking about Vandermeer. Yep. Who Picard actually knows because he served his first officer under his academy classmate, Marta Batanes, who was a main player in the TNG episode Tapestry. Yeah, that was interesting. Yes, it was. How many times have you met somebody and, oh, I know that person. You talk to an old classmate and say, oh, yeah, that was, that person was in the class ahead of me or two behind me or my sister was in that guy's class. Right, so you exactly. know them. Yep. That connection's there for you. Yep. So do you got some Easter eggs and theories to throw out there, Dave? I don't know. There, <laughs> so many there was a, questions. Yes. So we, we touched on uh, how you bring eight sons together. And who was it that said you do it when you're when you're showing off? What was one of the holograms? If right. you want to show off, that you do. So I rolled my eyes. You know how Q used to like to show off? Oh, absolutely. He was right? the biggest I, show off. I thought that was a Easter egg to Q because he shows off. And if you wanted to bring eight sons together, it would be him. Right. He's also the guy that brought the board to the Alpha Quadrant. If you want to bring this together, I mean, why would you want to? He wanted to rain down. Well, he didn't want to destruction with the Borg. And why would you want to put a warning on this planet with eight suns around it? That, that sounds mutually exclusive. Right. Yeah. It doesn't sound like anything Q would do. I mean, at one point, Q actually developed some, I don't know if you would call them feelings for Data, but he did give him something. Mm. One time he was going to give him all the emotions and everything. And Data said, no, I don't want it. But he right. still gives him that god-awful laugh that we hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, could so, uh, he be involved? Yeah. It could be. Still I kind of I hope not. Yeah, me too. I mean, yes, know. I do. Would, I would like to see Q return, but not because he's got something to do with this. He was in the final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, wasn't he? Trying to come back to it. Did he say he's like, oh, this is out there for you? Yeah. To, to Picard? Yeah. And it sounded like a swan song or an exit. I don't expect him to come back. And I know John Delancey has not been doing much acting at all lately, just some voiceover work. Right. And they brought together a lot of people already to grab someone else from Next Generation, bring him back. That might be too much. Do you think? see what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that might be too much. Yeah. Then people, Picard gets a lot of flack on the internet as it is. Right. If they just start rebooting Next Generation, Next people generation. will go, I'm done. Yeah. I, w I wouldn't be done. No. <laughs> I, l I like seeing all these people. But it, it's true. I, I would like to stay a little more original. Yep. It's great to have inspiration, but you just can't rely on it. We get enough of that coming out of Hollywood anyway. Yes, absolutely. So do you want to revisit the uh, the chicken or egg issue and a data and one? Remember when Rafi started barking at uh, Picard right. about all this for one neuron? Absolutely. And made me wonder, well, how much did Data have to do with this? I mean, okay, he died. Right. And did Maddox have one neuron that he kept? He was able to do his own organic synth? I really got confused because it sounded like there was a race of organic synths hundreds of thousands of years ago. I guess that's established. Right. But is there still one out there? And that's where Maddox was working? Right. Which would mean he didn't do much work at all if they were already there and they all look like him. I mean, look like Sochi. I don't know. I guess you, you had, yeah, you, had right. a, you had a theory that maybe it was his work. Right. And that they, this, the band of Sojis, <laughs> or whatever they are, come out. And it was interesting to see that uh, one of these ambassadors in a supposed first contact was named Beautiful Flower. And, of course, we've seen a lot of flowers right. so far. And uh, I don't know. We don't know if it was a male or female. We only see the drawing of Soji. But. We go back to Star City Rag, where Maddox tells the Jazel that the Talish Yar found his lab and destroyed it. Right. So that can't be the same lab that Soji remembered in the dream. Right. I mean, we get a huge disconnect here between where we think Maddox created these synths. Right. And where Soji's going that's supposedly her home. Right. That, that was a, a huge disconnect. Right. It makes one believe, okay, there is a race. Right. Absolutely. Maddox is kind of his own separate guy. Yeah. 
that coincidentally created someone that looked just like Soji. Right. Which that I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's having data paint the picture and then Maddie's created. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Frustrating question. (laughs) Yeah. So we find out that Picard served aboard the Reliant. What? I know what? The same Reliant? Yeah. From the original Star Trek and uh, the Wrath of Khan. How, and that, that ship's been around for a while. Okay, that's fine. Right. <laughs> but holy smokes. Yeah. Can you imagine? You, you'd think. <laughs> and interesting enough, all that, the Wrath of Khan and the original episode of The Space Seed was about building another society full of perfect humans. Right. <laughs> wow. Talk about connected tissue. And maybe that's kind of where they're going with this. Maybe that is the connection we needed to find out. Yeah. Yep. Maybe the people that were working on Khan and that group was also doing synthetic work as well. Yeah. That that's I don't know if you heard that noise, but my brain just rolled out my ear and hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I hope our listeners come up with something. Yeah, me too. Please help. All right. Speaking of listeners, we do have some feedback this week from our friend Fred from the Netherlands. So let's take a listen. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard, Season 1, Episode 8. Actually, I should be preparing to go to Amsterdam instead of recording this audio feedback, because I had a William Shatner theater show in Amsterdam, so watching the film Wrath of Khan, and then afterwards have a Q&A with William Shatner. But of course, of the coronavirus crisis, this all was cancelled. But it was very tricky last week, because my employer, being a university hospital, strongly advised their personnel not to go to any meetings with more than 30 people. And I would have gone to that with my 16-year-old son. But he refused to go with his mother, so he said, I go with dad, or I don't go at all. So I had two tickets, what to do with it. But then, fortunately, our government decided to prohibit any meetings of more than 100 people, so all theater shows and also this show had to be cancelled. So, now the show is postponed, it will happen somewhere in the future, or I will get my money back. Okay, about episode 8. I first thought it wasn't that good, and a little bit a, as we had one before, blah blah episode as I call it with a lot of exposition and a lot of talking so originally I wanted to give this episode a 6 but because of the very nice discussion Picard and Soji had over this meal very well acted by both of them by the way that made it much better and I really liked the Borg Queen sequence of 7 of 9 so these two things really boosted it up and I would give it now a seven and a half or something like that out of ten. I also liked the acting of Peyton List, who plays Narissa, in her monologue to the unconscious aunt Ramda. Very nice acting, very nice close-ups. Also the discussion between Rafi and Enoch, Enoch, uh, the ENH, the navigational hologram, was of course very nice. And he being completely out of his, or in his element, after she kissed him. And which cannot be denied, which is very, very nice, is of course the scene with the five holograms together. So that is good for my orphan black heart. And it was uh, a special treat when they had to look something up and they all hit their head at the same time, searching, searching information. Of course, the scene of Picard with Clancy was also very good. Perhaps summarizing all these very good scenes should put up my grade even more than 7.5. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you once again for your feedback, Fred. I know what a frustrating week it was for you last week, as we talked several times about what was going to happen and you potentially not getting your money back for it and all that, but I am glad that they decided to postpone it, and hopefully when they reschedule, both you and your son will be able to attend and get your money's worth out of an evening with William Shatner. I did one of those recently, not with William Shatner, but with John Cleese of Monty Python fame. Right. We watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and then 
<laughs> John Cleese came came out and did a, a question and answer. And of course, he, he had a Wuhan virus joke, too. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing was spared. But those are interesting. They're pretty popular now. And there's another one coming locally, too. That's if it's not interrupted by uh, a coronavirus scare. Yep. Well, I am glad that you brought your score up a little bit with a few of the scenes that we also liked a lot. The, the scene with Picard and Soji. And, of course, Seven of Nine was amazing, as always. I only wish we saw more of that. If I had a criticism, and I agree with most Fred has to say here. Right. There was, there was too much Rios and not enough for what was going on with the cube. I right. mean, it was a great platform for Rios, but the cube stuff was, I don't know, more interesting to me. Yeah, I would have definitely liked to have seen Seven of Nine getting rid of the rest of the Romulans and locating mm. where Picard was and getting the ship operational and heading to rendezvous. Yeah, that would be interesting. I, I hope we see that. I wonder if it's one of those things where we thought it might go into season two. There's a lot to do in yes, two more episodes. Yes, there really is. And yeah, Nerissa saying resistance is futile was pretty amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she sounded like she could have made a really great board queen. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she still can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you wish for, lady. And I think we definitely love the orphan blackish scene with the five holograms. That was, that was really funny. good. And <laughs> trying to wake up the weapons officer. Yeah. It's funny how he split up his personality into those five parts, including one that's a little still hung over and sleepy. Right. <laughs> good grief. Always. The two times we've seen him, he's been like, Oh, man, why are you messing with me? <laughs> yeah, we found out from one of the hollows that he used a self-scan yeah. option. I guess uh, that was one way of dealing with his trauma, suppose, I guess. Yeah. Keep part of his personality split up five different ways. Who knows? Yep. Once again, Fred, it's great to hear from you. And we're looking forward to hearing from you for the last two episodes of the season. We would love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season and looking forward to interacting with you on social media. How can the fans interact with us, Dave? You can go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link and you'll find several ways to contact us via email or social media. On Twitter, it's at Sawyer Steve and I'm at the real ID Dave. Please review and rate us on iTunes and all the other platforms you're listening to us on. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and we do hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great fangirl podcasts. The next episode is on March 19th and is titled Et and Arcadia Ego, Part 1. Until then, remember... This is Chief Engineer Steve, and now the windmills have turned out to be giants. Mm -hmm. And this is Redshirt Dave. I'm used to being used as target practice as a red shirt, but I'm having trouble with keeping my social distance these days from Narissa and Seven of Nine. I hope, this virus, I hope this virus goes away. Yeah. But everybody, wash your hands. <laughs>